Thank you so much, Karen. It is a joy to be able to share with you this afternoon. Um, it's my lack of faith and lack of technical ability because I, I don't think in terms of what's it called? Diet sticks? What are they? Those sticks? Memory sticks. I don't think in terms of memory sticks or, uh, you know, I just think in terms of printed notes. Um, but obviously we will, I am able to send you electronically these notes if you want them afterwards. The purpose of them is that they've got the scriptures in that I would like to have turned you to every time, but because that's part of how I'm wired. I love to look at it in the Bible. But, but to be honest, that would take extremely long time. I want us to, to talk and to be able to, I want to share a bit of my own experience at certain times and then to probably pray a bit at the end. So I thought, well, the easiest thing is just let you have all the references on a piece of paper, which would have been fine if I'd brought about four times as many or five times as many. But that's lovely. That's a great problem to have. We will help you out later with that. If you want to take notes, please feel uh, free to do so, obviously. Um, and we'll do what we can to cover the notes later, the printed notes later. Let me just pray because it's an important subject and uh, I'm so glad you're here. I think it really is uh, vital that we understand this uh, subject of spiritual warfare, kingdom warfare. But it's also a tricky subject. I just need God's wisdom and power and help and the gracious presence of the Holy Spirit as we together look at this. So, Father, I thank you that you're with us and for us. I thank you that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. I thank you, Lord, that you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness. You, you weren't stopped in your pursuit of us by Satan's schemes. You broke through the darkness, opened our blind eyes. Lord, you, you brought us out of death into life. So, Lord, we're not fearful that the enemy can uh, destroy us or pull us back into darkness. But, Lord, we are wanting to be sober and watchful and, uh, and, and sensitive to these issues this afternoon. So I pray, Lord, lead me as I speak. Help me, Lord, to know when to linger and when to just move quickly on. And, Lord, will you please touch every life in this tent? with your presence. Lord, I pray for liberation where we are still struggling and feel bound. I pray for a revelation that will open our eyes to the difficulties and challenges that we sometimes face. I pray, Lord, for inspiration to, to grow in faith, to grow in authority and power that we might see your kingdom advance in our day, your kingdom come and your will done on earth, even as in heaven. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at the subject of kingdom warfare. Essentially, there are two spiritual kingdoms in the world. And uh, this is a biblical perspective of the world we live in. I believe it's a totally correct perspective. It's not just a metaphor. It's not just a, a nice idea. This is a reality. There is the dominion of darkness and there's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light and love. In Colossians 1, we get a vivid description of the situation in, in, in terms of our conversion, really. Colossians 1, verses 12 to 14, tells us that when we become a Christian, we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness, which is where we were all in the first place. We're born into that situation, and we're rescued out of it, and we're transferred to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of love, the kingdom of God's Son the kingdom of, that Jesus rules and reigns in. And that is good news. 
And if you've been saved, and I trust that's true of the vast majority in this room, but if you're not really clear, we ca you can be by the end of the afternoon, <laughs> I pray. But if we've been saved, if we come to know Jesus, then we have gone through this incredible transfer from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light and love. Now, you can uh, find that in the New Testament in many ways. I remember when I first came across kingdom uh, truth, kingdom of God truth, and it was after I was baptized in the Spirit and things. It wasn't a subject I heard much in my old church background. I was surprised as I looked through the New Testament how much it talks about the kingdom of God. So at the very last verse of the book of Acts, we got Paul teaching about the kingdom of God. And Jesus, like the curtain comes down at the end of the first scene of church history. And that's what Paul's teaching about there. The kingdom of God is a vital subject. It's so important that we hear about it and that we have been all weekend. But as another aspect to it, and that's what we're here about this afternoon, is it's not quite as simple as it's just about the kingdom of God. This kingdom that we're part of is at war with another kingdom the dominion of darkness we are in a conflict situation now we're on the winning side ultimately but there is no doubt that there's a battle on a serious battle and you could uh use various illustrations for the situation because um we are the kingdom of God, I beg your pardon, of which we're part, is invading this world, which is under the rule of, uh, spiritual rule of the prince of this world, the god of this world, small g. Satan has a lot of influence in the world of men and women. We'll unpack some of this in a minute. And the kingdom of God is sort of invading it and changing it. There's a vivid prophetic picture in Daniel chapter 2, which the king has of these great empires as a huge idol. And uh, they're, they're they're, they're, it's a prophetic picture of a sequence of empires, probably up to and from the one there up to and including the Roman empires, some of us think as we read it. But in, in the days of the, the clay and iron legs, which possibly is the Roman empire, a small stone cut out without hands comes from heaven, hits the base of the idol, breaks up the legs, the idol collapses, it is crumbled to dust, the stone grows into a, a mountain that fills the earth. Now it's a vivid, vivid picture, but it's about the radical thing that happened when Jesus came. He's the stone cut out without hands. And Jesus invaded, he, he, was, he was doing something very different to anything that happened before. And he hit into, as it were, the kingdoms of this world, and he began to shake them and break them. And that process is ongoing. It's still going on. It will go on until Jesus returns, where the kingdoms of this world are being shaken by the kingdom of God. But they don't, Satan certainly and his cohorts don't give up without a struggle. I, I sometimes use this illustration to illustrate as the similar sort of as, uh, uh, events or, or scenario. Uh, in the, at the end, towards the end of the Second World War, there's a famous day which is called D-Day, and most of us know about it in June, when the Allies invaded the Europe, which was still under the fascist Nazi rule. They invaded Europe, D-Day, lots of lives lost, but very brave acts. But actually behind that, there was a massive resources, particularly of the Americans. So, you know, th there was really pretty good confidence that this would ultimately lead to a victory. But they invaded D-Day. 
and the troops began to break out out there uh, of their first uh, bridgeheads and, and get into Europe. And many months of fighting went on until in the end, there was victory and there was what we call VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, when there was peace and victory. And I sometimes use that as an illustration between when Jesus came and particularly when he died and rose again, which I see as D-Day, and when Jesus comes back, which is VE Day. <laughs> and we're in between that. Now, there really wasn't much doubt because of the resources and the unity of the Allies and the ultimate end. You know, this is not going to end well for Hitler and his cohorts. It, this is going to ultimately be victory. There's a pincer movement, the Russians are going, you know, historically that's true. But a lot of fighting, a lot of pain, a lot of death went on between D-Day and VE Day. It was conflict. Now, we're in that period. We are in a period when the kingdom of God is invading this world and is bringing the hope and the light. So we don't want to keep a totally militaristic picture, but bringing the light and the love of Jesus. But it's being resisted. And although the end is definite, and Jesus will come back one day, and he will finally finish it off, a kingdom of peace, all evil, all suffering removed, the new heavens, new earth. We're not there yet. We're still fighting towards that. Amen? So there are lots of conflicts. There are sometimes apparent, you know, failure, uh, uh, defeats. That there's advance and there's some element of being pushed back. But ultimately, there is no question of who's going to win in the end. We know the end. We've read the book of Revelation. So that's the vivid, vivid sort of metaphor picture to have in your mind as we think about our day-to-day -day living in the light of this truth of kingdom warfare. There is a real devil. Let's have no doubt about that. There is a real being called the devil or Satan. This is not just a, a picture of, of evil thoughts or a way of describing something or something primitive or to be mocked. It's a real character who has real malice and real activities. In the Bible, he's given a number of different names. And just reading the names tells you the nature of the beast. Accuser, liar, serpent, prince of this world, tempter, murderer, evil one, angel of light. I don't think that's all of them. But that gives you an idea of the sort of person we're dealing with. This is the sort of creature we're dealing with. This, this is the one who's described as the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He's not a myth. He's real. You can read the Bible's sort of hints of his origin. I have to say that. I think, broadly speaking, these references I'm going to refer to, we're not going to have time to turn to them, have been recognized throughout church history as references to the origins of Satan and, and the devil as far as we're concerned. And these are two prophetic things. One is in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15. The other one is in Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 17. And what we seem to be seeing there is a very powerful spiritual principality, which at that point in history was behind the major human evil empire that was ruling and, and oppressing God's people. And, then the, and the prophet sees something. He sees that behind the, the human emperor, the human king, there is a demonic principality and power. And in those prophetic, poetic 
sort of writings, there's a sort of insight to something that's obviously not a human being. It's far, he's far greater than that. But what we glean from that is interesting and relevant because you need to have some knowledge of your enemy if you're going to fight well. What we glean from that is that the power being referred to is referred to as Lucifer or, or uh, a son of the morning and, and was a powerful, created, angelic being. Um, I wouldn't get into too much about the various uh, hierarchies of angels. I'm not always helpful to do that, but it's clearly up there with the top ones, if you like, the archangels. One phrase used seems to be a guardian cherub, which I don't know what that means, but some writers say well, it was guarding the very holiness of God. So he has a high, high role. In He was a created being, no question about that, but a high role. But what was wrong? What went wrong? And it's fascinating, especially if you're in any way interested in what's the origin of evil, even in our world. What went wrong is very simple and sobering. There are a lot of phrases in particular Isaiah 14 where it says, he said in his heart, I will, I will, I will do this, I will do that. And one of them, the I think the climactic one is, I will make myself like the most high. So fundamentally, I don't want to bow to anyone. I want to be like, I want to be God. And I will be the number one. And for that, he was thrown out of heaven. In Ezekiel, there are these fascinating little hints. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So the origin of probably, I'd, you'd have to say in some ways, the origin of evil is that pride of saying, I will not even bow to God. I am my own God no one tells me what to do. I am beautiful and perfect and wonderful and there's no one like me and no one can question me. Now, to be honest with you, that isn't a thousand miles from how you often hear people. I mean, I think still one of the most popular songs at funerals is Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way. Now, these things, in a, it's in the human heart. It's, it's sort of the origin of all our problems, that I don't need God, I don't want God, I want to do everything my way. I will be God, thank you. I will be, I will set my own standards of right and wrong. Now, obviously, if you know your Bibles, Satan really infected humanity with his own sin. That's the Genesis story, really. You know, God's holding out on you. You know, he knows that you'll be like God's, able to decide for yourself right and wrong basically passed on his own pollution. They bought it and they turned their backs on God. Now, he'd already done that and taken with him uh, a third of the angels of heaven. What really happened in the Garden of Eden was that uh, Adam and Eve didn't, when they went for the temptation, they didn't win anything. They lost a lot. But what they became was not so much gods themselves. They became subject to or influenced by what the one who became the god of this world. Satan began to have some ground to operate on in the lives of human beings, which, of course, was what he was after. He's not a creator, can't create anything himself. All he can do is distort and abuse and misuse what God's made. 
But what he does realize, because he's no fool and his, and his demons are no fools, is that if he can exploit our sin and vulnerability, us as human beings, he can get grounds in human being life and he can express some of his intentions and wickedness and hatred of God just through the vulnerabilities of human beings who open themselves up to him. And that's the situation that was developed from the fall onwards. I would never say that evil, you know, human beings have no responsibility for that. That's not true. We are very responsible for our own choices and things we do wrong and the, the bad things in our lives, which we've all done, and our failures and sins and weaknesses. But undoubtedly, there is a third force at work. It's not just God and us. Satan has got some ground to operate on where men and women have turned their backs on God and sort of joined him in that rebellion against God, saying we want to be our own gods, we don't want to take any notice of the, our creator. And so we become, under him, the dominion of darkness. This world is in the grip of the evil one. Uh, that bit I referred to in my prayer. Uh, you know, Jesus, when you're Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. Greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world. But there's two sides to listening to that. There is a force in this world. We do not just wrestle against flesh and blood. There are principalities and powers. There are influencers who have intelligence. They've schemes. They've got demonic intelligence. They've, they've got an ability to outwit us, to trap us. These are biblical words. You'll know them if you know your New Testament. There is a, a, an intelligence behind temptation. There is an intelligence behind these schemes. And we need to be alert to it and work out how we're going to deal with it. You know, all through history, human beings have been fascinated with forces beyond themselves. You know, whether it's uh, the sort of Olympian gods or whether it's, the, you know, the spirits in the trees and the sort of paganism thing. And, and, you know, often people think it's quite good. You know, it's quite nice. You know, things that, 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 that are out there, spirits here, there and everywhere. All sorts of religions have that idea. You even get modern versions where you, people are looking for aliens and little green men. Now, a lot of that is human imagination. Quite a bit of it is just mythological creation. But often there is also things that people do really contact and think, wow, I mean, people doing seances. I remember vividly many years ago when I was a school teacher, a colleague who was atheistic and quite nice man, quite friendly, but quite resistant to Christianity. One day he came to me in the staff room, I was 10 years there, I knew, knew me quite well, my Christian faith, and wanted to talk to me quietly. Highly intelligent man, fellow English teacher in my English department that I was teaching in. And he came to me quiet and said, can I just talk to you, John? Uh, and I said, okay. He said, I went to a dinner party last night, my wife and I, four, uh, about five or six, I think it was about four couples. And he said, the hostess said she wanted to have a seance, which we all thought was like a, a game. And he said, it was quite disturbing. And he, 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 I won't bore you with the details, but essentially he said he was asking questions to this spirit, which he thought was a joke. And he was quite disturbed by the accuracy of the answers to his life. And there were, it was an English teacher. I won't, again, get into the detail, but he was very persuaded by the terminology because this was apparently the spirit of a soldier killed in the Civil War in Britain. And he said the whole way the answers came was the language he knew his, you know, knew his English. He said it was pretty convincing. What did I make of it? So I had a great opportunity to talk to him about 
about God, about the spirit world, more in heaven and earth than in your philosophy, Peter. And, you know, really got into it and said, but that's dangerous. Because I think highly intelligent man who'd expected to treat it as a joke, a bit like a party game, was quite staggered by what happened. Because people don't realise that sometimes they're not just having fun, talking about human mythology and philosophy. There, I- there are principalities and powers. And if you're either in the wrong place at the wrong time, I don't know how else it works, or they realise you're quite vulnerable to something, they can exploit it. And that's what happens to people. And sometimes they do see ghosts. But I wouldn't say they're seeing something good. <laughs> there is only one good Holy Spirit, one good spirit. There's only one legitimate way. I told Peter this, my fellow, my colleague. There's only one legitimate way into the supernatural, Peter. That's through Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know whether he became a Christian. He certainly listened to me. He certainly um, was much more uh, compliant. I don't know what word to use. Prepared to talk about Christian things, less dismissive, put it that way. And we had a good ongoing friendship. But, but I think we just need, to, as Christians, particularly in the West, not to get too forgetful or naive about this. There are demonic spirits that act and are around and do stuff. And we, we need to warn people sometimes that some of the things that they think are harmless, maybe like seances or playing with the occult, uh, new age stuff, some of it anyway, uh, false religions, even, as I say, certain obsessions with aliens may well open the door to something a lot more serious. So, what is the devil's strategy in this war with God's kingdom? Let's get right on. We've talked enough about him for a minute, although we will have, he will be the subject, but we're going to try and talk about how we're fighting back. What's his strategy? Well, I think the devil, we're talking now, I'm talking, I've jumped to thinking of us as Christians. We're the resistance army fighting against the dominion of darkness, rescuing people from from, uh, Satan's grip, bringing the kingdom of God, seeing the idol shaken and coming down. Look, you know, all of that. So what's his strategy against us? Because he's not going to just lie down. No more than the uh, forces of fascism just lay down after D-Day. He's going to fight. He's going to make you fight for ground. He's going to try and get ground back sometimes. So what's his strategy? Well, I would say a big one is to always get us off some very solid ground that we're strong on and safe on. Ground like believing God's truth. Believing the truth and standing on it. Ground like our personal relationship with God, where we talk to him, where he's with us, where we invite the Holy Spirit to take over. You see, God's always going to respond to our invitation and our loving response to his love. He doesn't force himself on us. We don't get, the Holy Spirit doesn't behave like demonic spirits. There's no possession and taking over. Someone used to say he's a gentleman, and to an extent he's a bit more strong than that. But he, to an extent that's true, that God, God's looking for us to open the way, looking for us to cooperate with him. He wants relationship. He doesn't just want servants or robots. And at the, so we need to not be drawn away from our relationship with God. We, we mustn't get drawn into ground where uh, we're, we're neglecting that, where we're neglecting his word, we're neglecting faith. Now, Satan wants to draw us into that. So if he can get us to give him some ground to move on, even as Christians, he can have some influence. So we need to learn about that. Some of the ways Satan attacks us, the Bible tells us, 
he accuses the brethren. That's us. That's old fa- oh, me quoting my old version, I have to, because that's the only way it comes up in my brain. But he accuses, that means men and women, it means Christians. He accuses us. So he gets us onto grounds of condemnation where we, we don't need to be. That will be one tactic. He will deceive. We'll come back to that in a moment. All of these have got references, more than one, I'm sure. He will tempt us to sin. He will try and trick us. He will trap us. These words are there. He can use sickness. I'm not saying all sickness is of him, but he can use it. He certainly uses fear. That's a big one. It's almost the counterpoint to faith. There's often a fear-faith battle, uh, which Satan will be part of. He certainly uses false doctrine getting us off ground of truth in God. These are things that Satan will use to try and get back at us. I do not believe demons or the devil, I'm I'm talking about the same uh, category, obviously, the devil and all his cohorts. I don't believe they can read our minds. I don't actually. believe God knows what's going on in your mind, your thoughts. They're not equal with God. But I do believe they can hear our words, and we often give them plenty of material by the way we speak. And we often speak what we think or what we really believe. I do, sadly, sometimes under pressure, and I'm shocked at how little, <laughs> how poor I am. But, you know, but the devil will hear that if, if need be, and he can then exploit it. And they are very aware of principles that sometimes we're a bit naive about. Principles of faith, principles of holiness and relationship with God. They know how it works. You remember when Jesus is around, it's often the demonized people have got a much, the demons in the people rather, got a much fuller idea of who Jesus is and what he's doing than the human beings around. You know, there's no doubt they know exactly what would work to undermine us and spoil us. And uh, if we give them lots of clues, we're a bit foolish, we all do it, they will try and exploit them. Endeavour to get us believing lies or keep speaking untruth to ourselves. Endeavour to get us locked into fears. Create division. That would be, a, I would say, a demonic stra- strong uh, strategy to create division amongst Christians. Now, the devil is an accomplished deceiver. When I was preparing this, uh, which I has, has been in my mind for a number of months, as you'd expect, I, I felt God said, why don't you share the lesson you learnt? I had a very painful lesson this year in February of this year. I had a very, very unpleasant experience which left me shocked and shaken. I was deceived. I was scammed over the phone. Uh, I won't go into the details except to warn you that it started as, all, uh, as a, a, a phone call from BT apparently about my internet. I was scammed over the phone. I did things that I know are stupid. I ended up my opening my bank accounts. I ended up examining them through my computer. This went on for hours. This became a lengthy ex- examination of my internet and my computer. Now, I am computer thick, okay? I am a real Philistine. I'm old and I'm stupid. So... It was easy to mess me about. If I told you some of the things I did, you think, you are really stupid, John. I'm not sure I'd ever come to a seminar again. But honestly, I know that. But I was robbed of a considerable amount of money. 
In fact, if I had not gone to the bank, I wouldn't have had anything left in my savings account. The bank were really helpful. They, they stopped some of the process, they cut some of it back, but I was still uh, significantly lost money. And I was utterly staggered by what happened and by the deception. I was shaken by it. As I say, if I was to tell you the details, you would say, why on earth did you do that? Don't you know you never give your password? Don't you know you never go live and open a bank account to someone on the end of the phone and let them test and see if this is happening and that's happening? It's all technical stuff. Don't you know you never do that? I know the bank has given me many warnings now. Never do this, never give this information. Never. I do know that. All I can say to you is... This is why I hope it's helpful. If you have a cunning, wise, sort of sly enemy, it is very easy to be deceived. And it is a strange process because things become more plausible as you get deeper in. And the deeper you get in, this happened to me over a period of hours, the harder it is to think, I shouldn't be doing this. And so you say, look, shouldn't I not be giving this information? And, And someone says with great confidence and professional no that's fine of course it's good you checked let's just give you some reassurance mr groves and so they're doing things that any computer buff in here is oh john they can do that so they're giving me um details and numbers to show me that they know all about and we're bt we know all about that we know what your router's number is we know what your you know don't worry it's very wise sir that you check out it's very very sensible of you and all of that's going on But actually, it's weaving and weaving and weaving a web of deception. Now, I actually believe that that there was an element of spiritual warfare in it, which I'll touch on a little bit. Because I think um, God used it, ultimately, to teach me a number of lessons. I can't go into them all this afternoon. But I think one of the things I learned was how deception works in any area. You know... If I had stuck to the simple, clear principles, even I know, and I know a lot more now, I would never have got into it. One simple, don't, uh, why you don't answer, what's the word, unsolicited phone calls. The places like, if you've got something wrong with your internet, you need to ask BT. You don't, they don't phone you up out of the blue and say, we want to help you sort your internet out. Now, I mean, that's obvious, isn't it? To some of you nodding there wisely. Well, that was the first hurdle I fell at. The very first hell. But how much easier it is to stop early on? By the time you're well into, you you can't think straight. You think, hang on a minute, am I stupid or are they stupid? Oh, perhaps it's me stupid. And you begin to think you're stupid. People say, oh, yes, sir, we realise we, we realize your age. Yes, you might like to take a rest just now and have a drink. You know, all this stuff. Blah. And the whole thing was a pack of lies. The whole thing. This is the thing. Everything was untrue. Everything. There wasn't anything. It was a whole thing. Now, you say, why are you saying this? Because for me, that was in the area of computers and money and banks. But I realize people get into that sort of thing in terms of uh, sexual sin, in terms of personal relationships, physical abuse, life-destroying bondages. You know, it happens, we get deceived, and before we know where we are, we're deeply in, and it's doing all sorts of damage. And I thought a lot, I th- I'm now I'm talking about this as Christians, so, ha- so I thought, what happened to me? Was my deception unavoidable? I don't think it was. I do believe in the sovereignty of God. 
And I don't think God ever lost control of the situation. I believe even though some meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And I have seen good. I saw the mercy of God in me coming, waking up to what happened after the whole thing had finished and going immediately to the bank. And, have, and God provided a brilliant, I have no complaints about banks, by the way. They handled it brilliantly. A, a wonderful young man, uh, sort of about his late 20s, who immediately and graciously took on the cold case that late afternoon. He was doing all sorts of stuff, contacting the bank. He stopped quite a lot of it before it had finished. And he didn't reverse it all because he couldn't. But he did a brilliant job. And I think God provided the right person for me at the right time. And I think all sorts of mercies of God. But... I also, as well as the sovereignty of God, I know I have responsibility. We have responsibility. And there's human responsibility. And I should have done what I knew I shouldn't have done at the beginning. I shouldn't have done it. I should have stopped. And, and I didn't. I didn't put a stop to it. And I think there are even times in it when I could have just probably much more rudely just put the phone down. And that would have been far better than what I did do. You know, it wouldn't matter who I'm offending. What's it matter? Just pull out. And, I, I, and at any time, that had been better. At any time. I think, actually, that as I think about that, I think about how do we resist this deception and temptation? We have principles like this, you know, don't counsel a member of the opposite sex alone. alone. Well, that's like, don't take any unsolicited phone calls. Just don't do it. Just don't forgive your password over the phone. Just don't do it. You say, oh, that's a bit hard. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a convinced believer in some of these principles. And the earlier you nip it in the bud, you know, you're a courting couple, don't go into the bedroom alone. Just don't do it. Just don't ever go there. Don't go alone. Don't lie down together. All the things we talk about sometimes. You know, I remember Rob Parsons saying, you decide in the first 10 seconds how a relationship with a woman will go. Those first 10 seconds are crucial. Make sure you're absolutely clear. We'd be friendly, nice, but I'm not going to get flirtatious. I'm not, you know, these are principles I'm applying from my experience <laughs> on the phone, uh, which was a painful one, a very painful one. Don't even look at the pornographic site. Don't even think about it. Don't even try to find out how to see it. Don't even get curious. Don't even wonder. You know, that YouTube thing that's just popped up, don't see what it does. You know what it does. You don't need to climb into a dustbin to see what's in it. Don't look in it. Who needs to do that? Oh, I see what rules of rubbish is in here. Don't be stupid. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't even consider how you could justify that money that you're not entitled to. Don't even think of, oh, I could it would be very easy. I could do this, that, and the other. Don't even think about it. Don't even entertain that evil thought. You say, yeah, I get evil thoughts. We all do. Push it out again. Don't even think sometimes, where did it come from? Why did I think that? Why would I ever think that? Well, that's already lingering too long. It's like me on the phone. To even engage in conversation with this person is already unwise on the phone. So I don't know. I don't need, I have nothing wrong with my internet. I don't need BT. Thank you. Goodbye. And that's what it should have been over in 10 seconds. I didn't phone up a BT. I didn't ask them for any help. And that's the same. Don't even, don't even sometimes Satan almost puts something near you and you shock, you, you, get, you get fascinated and shocked. Don't. Push it right out again. Push it right. Avoid that gossip. Don't even begin on that pathway. Tell that person you're a Christian at your very first opportunity. You know, I could go on all afternoon. There are ways in which you avoid this terrible net 
of deception, which I experienced. Now, I found that God was gracious. I, I, I mean, I learned a lot out of it. I, I thought about what did I do wrong. I thought, I thought, yeah, I was idle. I'm not normally, I haven't got much time. But actually, I didn't have much to do that morning for a f- couple of hours. I was idle, so there was an idleness about how I got caught. I, there was a bit of curiosity, which I've got, and it's not helpful. Always, I'm nosy. Um, there was pride in the end because I was trying to do things that I couldn't, were outside of my knowledge zone. I think there were vulnerabilities that Satan exploited, and in the end, fear and confusion. But at any time, it would have been better to pull out. Do you don't mind me going on? I'm going on rather a long time. Are you okay, I just realized I may, may not get, I don't think I will get through the whole subject. But I also found this, as soon as you put your eyes back on God, he's there with you. He's been there all the time. So I felt God gave me some real answers and some real wisdom to work with the bank to at least reverse some of the damage. Fairly, actually majority. So I lost only about a quarter of what I might have lost. So I think, I think God really helped. And God was, but I had to start, it was no good me huffing and puffing. I, I, I had to say to Marion, I've been such a fool, Marion. <laughs> I've I just, I, you know, I just need, I, I, not even spend too long telling yourself that. I've just got to put this right. You know, I've just, God help me. We've got, now, for me, it was really concrete. But you think, actually, that can be the same for all sorts of other areas of sin and deception. All sorts of areas. And can I just ask you to learn from that? Don't give Satan an opportunity. Don't open the door. I mean, it certainly wasted quite a lot of time and energy and emotion, as well as losing a bit of money. It, it was, I feel, a demonic hand behind it, but I felt God used it for good. And it made me humbler uh, and closer to him and more dependent. I, I learned all sorts of lessons about money. I thought I'd been trust, trusting in how much is in my bank account. I've got to trust in God. You know, he just touched that to remind me. That's one of the lessons I felt, and I did. I haven't got loads, but I did feel God said, yeah, you've been trusting that a lot recently, so we just give it a little touch to make you remember where it comes from. <laughs> oh, yes, Lord. And, uh, and, and it's been good to me in the months since. I wouldn't say it's all back, but I believe he is restoring stuff in his own way. It not, not actually always concretely, but sometimes you think, oh, that was a blessing, which, you know, I just know God's on my case. I just know he's a good father. And he's, he's teaching me a lot out of it. So, I hope you've learned out of my foolish. I hope it's worthwhile. It's one of the benefits. Be careful about deception. It is quite weird when you're in it how legit, how valid it all seems. And yet, when you stand back, you think, the whole thing was that. Why would I want to ruin my family for this you know, brief fling with someone. Why would I want to ruin my kids? Am I, you know, people do it all the time. Why, why did I even think that was a good idea? So be careful. The first stages are the times to pull out. Don't let Satan gain ground. Now, there's a lot of uh, other things. Uh, this is where I'm going to, I think this is where God wants me to linger really slightly, not on that subject alone. But there's a lot of other ways Satan can gain ground in a Christian's life. It's not purely by uh, deceiving us into stupidity. I, I, I'm, I, I like to rely on the Bible. Obviously, we do. But I do really like to rely on the Bible. So I, I'm only going to s- briefly flag up things that I could give you scriptures for and you could look up. Um, for example, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, talks about spiritual strongholds. And strongholds seem to be 
things set up against God in our minds, often based on lies, lies, big strongholds, which in a way are set up against God's truth and don't allow God to move and keep God out of things. Now, it would seem that the devil can have a hand in building these strongholds. They certainly can only be dealt with with spiritual weapons. And these strongholds can be in cultures. They can be in families. They can be in an individual based on their pre-Christian experience, maybe. Sometimes very legitimate experiences build strongholds. You know, hurt, damaged by a member of the opposite sex, I'll never trust another man, you know, and things like that. And then it leads to all sorts of other behavioral things and there could be many many examples the only answer we need to find an answer the answer is we need to find the lies we're letting that stronghold be built on and it's got those lies have got to be ripped out and god's truth's got to be put in but this is an area where if we've got a stronghold of wrong thinking based on lies may have come from family culture could come from all sorts of places it will always give a sort of toehold to the devil in our lives. It's almost like a, a, a rope. We get so far and then we can't get any further because he can always pull us back on that one. You know, and, 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 and we need to, to realize that these are schemes of the enemy. And so by God's grace and help, we may not be able to always deal with it on our own. We need to sometimes have a bit of wisdom about, have I got, I seem to have a particular stronghold in my thinking here. Is it a godly one? Or is it based on untruth? Is it deception? Is it a lie? And I need to put God's truth in place of it. And I need to take that ground away from saying, it's like he's got a little cave he can hide in and come out every so often to give me a punch. And I don't want it. I want to get rid of it. It's more than a punch sometimes. Christians, even active Christians, can do silly things, which I think gives Satan a, a hold. Obviously, like my silly, but it's a different one, not deception. In 1 Corinthians 10... Verses 18 to 22, Paul seems to be reprimanding believers in the Corinthian church who are going to pagan um, temples to be involved in some sort of uh, uh, process. It may have just been meals along with sacrifices. And he describes it as dangerous because he says you are being partners with demons participants with demons and he warns them to be careful you can't go to the table of demons and the lord's table you can read it for yourself so clearly christians who stray into very unwise territory of perhaps i'm not talking about love it we love people who are in deeply into all sorts of weird religions we love them deeply but something sometimes the things they're in are demonic and we don't want to over explore that you don't want to over give yourself to that you don't have to understand everything nasty to know it's not of god and they need an answer don't over open yourself up to it don't become a partner in it don't say oh it's fine i'll go along with you to your ceremony is that wise do you need to you know i i don't know i'm not saying every time it will end up but there is a danger of getting a fascination with something which satan will play on and uh, maybe that can lead to a foothold there are many others. There's one in, uh, many of you will know this, in Ephesians 4, verses 26, 27, when Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath because that can give Satan a foothold in your life. Now, I think we could turn that into unresolved anger and bitterness can give a foothold. It's like something he can always land on if he wants to. He can always pull you. He can, it's like a lead. He can give you a tug on that one. 
He doesn't. He shouldn't have it. He doesn't have to have it. The blood of Jesus will cleanse you from it. Pray, repent, put it right, and he's lost the ground. But if you give him the ground, he's got the ground. Do you understand? We have to be shrewd about these things. We have to know. Don't live in bitterness. Deal with it. Somehow you're going to get praying, get, get, get help, get people to pray with you. So I mustn't allow that vulnerability to stay. It doesn't need to. The blood of Jesus will cleanse you and restore you. Another one's unforgiveness. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 10 to 11. Paul says, you know, if we need to forgive anyone, we'll forgive them. We don't want the devil to outwit us or entrap us. These are the words he uses outwit and trap they they are metaphors but they're not meaningless metaphors it's clearly something can happen a christian can be outwitted by the devil a christian can be entrapped by the devil now we don't have to be but one area would be unforgiveness only one is unresolved anger and all that but one would be unforgiveness we need to we need to do business on forgiveness not only for the benefit of pleasing god which was biggest biggest one but also uh, for our own personal benefit because these are areas of vulnerability. I, I mean, I, I have got a longer list. I'm not going to go, on, but let me, even though I don't even understand what it is, let me remind you of Ephesians 6 where Paul talks about fiery darts or fiery arrows that we need to use our shield of faith. I mean, clearly we are in a war, so this enemy tries to hurt us. And there seems to be, this can't be a pointless exhortation, can it, in, in Ephesians 6. There must be a need for us to get our shield of faith up sometimes. And it must be, unfortunately, possible that sometimes through our own foolishness or something else, we don't and we get hit with something, something which hurts and needs pulling out again. This sort of thing happens. It's not, as I say, a meaningless metaphor. We need to be sober and watchful. We need to watch it. When Satan undermines our faith and we haven't even got the shield up for anything, well, it's worse than that. Once our shield's down, we could be getting stuff fired at us that will do us some damage. So I don't want to give you fear, but I want to be a, you to be aware, sober and watchful. The good news is you don't have to stay hurt. You don't have to stay with a fiery dart stuck in you. There are solutions. The solution is the love of God, the blood of Jesus to cleanse you from sin. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Just a simple prayer. Just a simple turn back. God, forgive me. Please cleanse me. Do what you can to put it right. Begin, if you've got to restore something, restore it. You've got to forgive someone, do something. You've got to, you know, uh, you know, there may be stuff you need to do sometimes, but you begin to put it right and you've robbed any ground the enemy has. Now, there's always a way out. There's always a way out of temptation. Jesus promised, the Bible promises that. And there's actually a way out of these traps too. I really believe that. I really believe it. I believe it on the basis of many years in pastoral leadership. I think sometimes they're not easy ways. Sometimes they're a bit more chunky and you need to pray and talk it through. But I don't think any of us who belong to Jesus need to stay with Satan having a foothold or a hook in our lives. The reality is we may well have that problem, either as a pre-Christian experience that lingers on and we haven't dealt with, or as even a Christian, as we're saying, doing something perhaps easy to do, like unforgiveness, anger, whatever, or something that's opened us up. But we don't have to stay like that. We can be set free. I really believe it. I've seen so many people set free over the years from all sorts of things, 
and, and I believe that God wants to keep us free. We're, it's for freedom we've been made free. So we, we are actually on the front foot. I mean, we've got to remember this. I remember once a very vivid experience I had many years ago. I haven't had many recently. I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. Experience of delivering someone from a demon, a, a woman with, with my fellow leader who had been deeply into witchcraft, seriously into witchcraft. I mean, she was a scary woman. When she first came along, she, I mean, she looked hard as nails. She really did. She had a couple of blokes with her look as though they could rip your head off. I mean, they were scary. But, but in the end, she came, she wanted to be a Christian. And, she came, and, and, and the story, I mean, it was scary. Uh, we, real stuff. And, and in the middle of trying to help her, she was clearly saved. The, the story ends well, but the crisis was around baptism. She, I mean, she was not a woman. She was tough. I'd honestly, I know I'll keep saying it, but she was. But she was scared rigid of being baptized because she said every night a de- demon came to her and said, you will not survive your baptism. You will be drowned. You will not live beyond your baptism day. And she, she was scared. And then one night, she just got a reference and looked at it. And it was that bit in Isaiah where it says, I'll be with you when you go through the water. She didn't know her Bible very well. Just got the, the Isaiah, the number and the verse and found it and read it out. And, and then we prayed with her and all sorts of things. But prior to that, to be honest with you, we, we were involved in sort of ministry to her, deliverance ministry. And sometimes it, it seemed like we weren't totally winning to be honest. Now, I think subsequently, because some of that was like the sin she needed to get out of her life, and she got to see that. So it's like the foothold thing was involved as well. But, but the fact is that it was tough. And I remember just God encouraging me and saying, look, y- I'm stronger than the demons. You're on the winning side. If the devil is as strong as he's pretending to be, why couldn't he stop her coming to church responding to the gospel, coming forward, wanting to be baptized. I mean, she didn't have to do any of that. She was into all sorts of stuff and drugs and, you know. You know she, she, but she'd come through and through. And through. God says, you know, he can't stop her. You know, and it just encouraged us. You know, greater is he is in us than he is in the world. We're on the winning side. It has been D-Day. D-Day has happened. The back is broken of the enemy. It is mopping up, but it's a tough battle. And if you, if you allow the devil to exploit weaknesses, he will do if he can. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the name of Jesus. I've got to go, I have to go quickly now because I want to pray for a bit. Right, let's quickly go. Jesus has overcome Satan. Let's remind ourselves of all the big, big things on our side. Jesus has overcome Satan. That's why he came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3 verse 8. He's removed, this is what I've been talking about really, he has removed the legal hold Satan sometimes had in our lives. That's our sin. Because we can be cleansed from all sin. So we can be cleansed from unforgiveness, cleansed from a bitterness, cleansed from our own foolishness and temptations and sins and the awful things we've done. He has no, we, he needs have no legitimate hold in our lives. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Isn't that not good news? Everything, whatever you've done, it's all taken. There's nothing he can come and say, yeah, what about that? No, 
I mean, even Luther experienced that, where the devil said, what about this sin? What's that? He said, write them all down, then right across them, the blood of Jesus cleanses me from unright. You know, he had some dream. I've, I've quoted it very well, but you know what I mean. But we need to be back like that sometimes. We need to think, yeah, okay, yeah, I did do all that. And I have I even not been tr- brilliant here. But I, I have asked Jesus to forgive me, and I believe he has. It must be based on, you must base it on truth. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. There isn't. It's gone as far as the east is from the west. You are accepted in the beloved. You know, Christ took your sin and clothed you in his righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? And it's the armor of God we've got. I mean, it's not a bad armor, is it? It's God's armor. His presence, righteousness, his salvation, standing on the gospel. It's his armor. It's not your wits and your strength. It's his armor. It's wonderful, but we need to remember it. We need to act like Jesus did. Jesus showed us how to, how to deal with the enemy. One of the things is you stand on the word of God and you use it back. I've done it many times. You pray back the word of God like Jesus did. In a sense, he didn't pray. He spoke it, didn't he? When um, he was tempted in the, in the wilderness, he said, it is written. He was using it as a sword. He was speaking it. It tells us that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And uh, that's an interesting uh, t- uh, sort of little concept there. It, it's actually the word logos for Word of God. It's about the, sp- the now word, the spoken word. I don't think it's particularly about, you know, this, is a s- this isn't a sword like this. It, you could argue the sword is in that. This is the scabbard of the sword. It's a sword when I get it out of that, into that, into that, and coming out of that. Does that make sense? If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. <laughs> Basically, it's, you can't resist the devil by waving your Bible at him. You know, we're not dealing with vampires. Well, you know, you can't say, oh, put it there, stop it over my heart. I always wear my Bible over my heart, always have it around my neck. No, that's superstition. No, look, on your shelf, it's no good as a sword. To be a sword, like Jesus, you need it in you and you need to speak it in the right situation. It may be a prayer, it may be literally speaking. You know, maybe you get an oppressive feeling that God doesn't love you, doesn't care for you. Some of these things come demonically. They're not all you having a bad day. And you you can't always discern which is which. Sometimes you almost can. But there's suddenly a feeling that, you know, God doesn't love you. God is not there for you. You need to have some verses you can quote. He has promised never to leave me or forsake me. I stand on that. You know, you know, I, I belong to him. He's with me. I have eternal life. None can pluck him, um, me out of his hand. No one can pluck. You know, you need verses that don't, like they're coming out of my mouth now, not accurate, but the, you've got the truth in you so that you can speak them. I've spoken them. I've, I've been administered to people, got into a car to drive home, and felt like a prickle down my spine of something in the back seat, something nasty. And I think it is a manifestation. And I'm almost not want to look in the mirror. Coming home, dark night, I can remember it vividly. It's happened more than once. Coming home from ministering to a couple, praying, talking with a couple, and, uh, and then suddenly a thought, why don't, you, why don't you drive the car into the wall? Honestly, why don't you drive it into the cars coming the other way? Well, I've got a happy family man or children. I don't want to drive it. And yeah, see what it feels like. You know, what are you talking about? See what it feels like. Honestly, ba- mental battles like that. 
And you just have to, sometimes you mustn't linger. You say, I rebuke. Get out of the car. Say, it's my car. This is Jesus' car. In the name of Jesus, Jesus, fill this car with your presence. Start singing in tongues and drive carefully within the speed limit. <laughs> Honestly. You have to, and, and if you quote some scripture, if it comes to mind, quote it for goodness sake. You know, you know, uh, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Whatever comes, the Holy Spirit will give it to you. But don't get all funny and British and sensible and logical and down to earth. And <laughs> Get spiritual. Get your sword out and crack it across his head. You know, chop his head off. You, honestly, sometimes, I, I mean, if the devil's not there, uh, sorry, if a human being's not there, you can really have a go. It's quite fun. You can get quite angry and shout. If people are there, they think you're a bit odd. So if you're on your own in the car, I mean, I, I, when I'm on my, I've <laughs> I sense I'm going off, hello, John, you're going off piste a bit here, never mind. <laughs> I don't like open plan offices. Because apart from loads of other things, which I won't go into, one thing is I love to be able to pray out loud. I always feel a bit embarrassed, you know, even though there's other Christians, you can't, you know, everybody's doing this stuff and you suddenly go, in the name of Jesus. So I, I like it when I'm on my own because I do pray like that and I pray for other people like that sometimes. I tell Satan to get his hands off them and I pray, I mean, I'd, you say, well, do you see it work? Well, it sort of seems to work sometimes. I can't guarantee it, but I'm having fun doing it. You, you know, you, come on, you've got the name of Jesus. You have authority in Christ. You belong to him. You, we're told, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a good promise, isn't it? Could do worse than that, couldn't you? Resist. Whether it's, I'm not just talking about temptation, the stuff I'm talking about in the car. Don't just give in to it. Oh, I must be going nuts. I better go to the doctor tomorrow. No! You're not going nuts. That's just another attack. You know, stand on the ground of the scriptures. Pray back. You know, I, I could think I was going out. Say, oh, I'm a middle-aged man thinking all these things. Well, look, yes, because you're a Christian, you understand the spiritual world. Resist it. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We have a responsibility to fight. The whole of Ephesians 6 is telling us that, isn't it? We're near the end. Don't worry. And we'll pray a bit. The whole of Ephesians 6 is telling I'm jumping around. I don't know where I am now. The whole of Ephesians 6, it says, be strong in the Lord. So you've got to do that. If it's telling you to do it, which Ephesians 6 is, there must be some responsibility for you and me. It's not all just passive, oh, God, look after me. That's good to pray that. But be strong in the Lord. That means strengthen yourself in God. That means build your relationship up in God. Be strong towards God. If you're going to be victorious, you can be victorious. Be strong towards God and in his mighty power. Remember the Holy Spirit's with you. His mighty power. I mean, when he turns up, the devil's nothing to God. It's like one of those great, I don't know, spaceship things on, on film. You know, the whole ground rumbles and one of these massive, you know, that's when God turns up. And, you know, squeaky little devil has to run away. It, it, it really, then we're told to stand in the day of evil. That's an interesting one. When the day of evil comes... And actually, it probably does mean the day when the evil one is coming at you. It's uh, sort of the sense of the, of, the, of the passage there, even the original. There are days come, it's not just a bad day, you know, when things don't go well. It seems more strong than that. There's a day of evil. We, you know, we are in a war. This side of the return of Jesus or going to be with him, we're fighting. 
And there will be days when evil seems to be winning. There will be days when evil comes. There'll be days you think, where's that come from? What's that about? I sort of had one, that February one, in a way, that I told you about. And sometimes on those, you've got to stand on what you know is true. Stand. Don't, I'm not going to give ground on this. You know, I mean, I've, I've had waves of doubt. You know, am I even a Christian? Is there even a God? You think, well, I've been, I've been believing in God for 55 years. Why have I suddenly thought that today? You know, just heard some weird thing and ga- gave a bit of space to it. You said, no, I'm standing. That's rubbish. Let God be true and every man a liar. I've quoted that before. I don't always reason with things. I like, I'm, 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 I am into thinking, don't worry. Uh, but, you know, and read books and stuff. But sometimes you think, I just don't, I don't understand that. Let God be true and every man a liar. I'm going to stand with God. And, and, and you sometimes need to do that. I'm, I'm, I hope I'm making sense. I, I hope I am. Because you have to stand on things. You need to also use the things you have, the shield of faith we've talked about, standing on the gospel, the sword of the spirit, which again, I've mentioned already. Reject any, resist, sorry, Satan's attacks. Speak God's word. Use the authority Jesus has given you. There's some great scriptures on that. Luke 10, 19, Matthew 28, right at the end there, verses 18 to 20. It, we have the name of Jesus as a weapon. We can use his name. And in his name, we can deliver people from demons. And we can resist the devil's attacks in his name. And we certainly can pray in his name. Prayer is a great big weapon which needs a whole hour's talk on its own. That's fine. I'm just sort of listing the menu for you. Prayer. I mean, Ephesians 6.18 talks about all sorts of prayer in all sorts of circumstances. I mean, I sometimes pray in tongues. I can remember when I was a school teacher and I taught in a big boys' school. Uh, It was 1,400 boys and uh, it was comprehensive, big comprehensive. We got some pretty rough customers in there. Uh, and uh, some of them, you, I mean, I, I honestly saw some amazing things happen in a way. You know, boys who, who respected you in the end after all the day. But some of them were pretty, you, I, I thought probably there was some demonic activity in their lives. Honestly, it's not a surprise. And sometimes you thought, this is just, so between these, if I get a space, I'm going in the toilet, I'm going to pray in tongues over that boy. I'm going to pray in tongues over him because I just know something's going on today and it's just causing chaos. So, you know, you, you, all sorts of prayer. It may be an arrow prayer right in the situation. God, give me wisdom. Maybe you get a chance to go out and say, God, I'm not sure what I'm praying for, but I feel I need you. I'm praying in tongues. Holy Spirit, guide my prayer. And, and you know, this is how we live as Christians. Honestly, prayer and obviously sensible, rational prayers that are all worked out and you know what you're praying for. But prayer in all forms and all situations is part of our weaponry. We are going to finish listening to me. You've listened to me long enough. I feel God wants just to to bless you. You're at the end of a massive, wonderful weekend. Um, You've been gracious enough to come and listen to me late on a Sunday afternoon. And it's blessed me that you've come because it it shows me that there are people who want to hear about this subject. And I found it uh, important enough to, to, to do this. So well done. Now, my prayer is honestly that there is something in all I've brought for each one of you. You won't all get all of it or even need to. But I pray there is something. So let's stand together. Before I pray for anything or have people forward or anything like that, let's just stand together. And I want to be 
quiet, which will be a blessing, probably you think. I want to be quiet for a minute and just let the Holy Spirit tell you which bit of what I've heard I've got to get hold of and remember. Because it won't be all of it. might be several bits. But let's just, I'm just going to pray God will do that. And then I'm going to give you a pause, a sila moment, just to, just to hear from the Holy Spirit. Father, I ask you to bless and s- sort of equip my brothers and sisters this afternoon. And I pray, Lord, that you would just settle in the heart and the mind and the spirit of each one what you want to do out of this afternoon, what they need to get, which bit is the next bit of their story with you, the bit that's going to help them most. I pray, Lord, you would just speak now. Just while I go quiet, Lord, I pray you would speak instead of me into their hearts. Use my words, but may it be your words, Lord. Amen. Now, Father, I pray that you would just help us to to apply, even now, some of the truths that we've looked at. I, I've just, as I'm standing here, I think s- for some of you, you may have thought, I am in a situation where I've been deceived. I've just seen it, John's story about the phone. It's not. I'm sure it's not the same. Obviously, you're not on the phone at the moment. But that that that. But there's something there that you thought I'm. I've caught in a mesh here, and I need help to get out. If you felt there's an echo of of something you want prayer for, that you feel like I'm deceived. I'm caught in a web, uh, and I need help to get out of it. We. I will. I, I will pray with you. Or Others with me will pray with you this afternoon. So you could come forward in a moment. And I felt too, when I uh, was preparing this, I w- I, I, even just recently, I needed to emphasize one, two things more strongly. I know I emphasized unresolved anger and unforgiveness. But there were a few other things in there that I mentioned in passing about um, perhaps over-studying over a false religion or getting too fascinated by a whole thing that is uh, is clearly based on lies. And I, I, I feel some of those things, and it could be ones I haven't mentioned, some of them you thought, oh, that's, that's a bit me. I feel that may have undermined my walk with God. It may have made me a bit, pulled me back. Well, well I'd, I'd love to pray with you as well, if that makes sense to you. I think what I'd like to do at the end is not be involved too much in debate, I don't mean that just you know about w- what about this and that, but I would like to pray for people who feel there is something that you've said that I feel echoes with my experience. I, I, I feel I have done that, or I I need a bit of help with that one, 
I feel Satan has trapped me there or got a foothold there and I'd, I'd value prayer. Now, what I want to assure you of is that I've been aware of that in my own life. So, you know, there's nothing shameful about it. In fact, the wisdom is to do something about it as soon as you are uh, aware of it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hope that will be clear to you. So I think as we come towards the end, I would like people to feel free to come forward for prayer. And if you feel that's not for you, and it may well not be, um, I just pray that God will bless you and give you wisdom and strength as you go forward as a Christian. I want to pray for everyone and finish with that. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters before me. I pray, Lord, that you will make them strong in you. They will be mighty warriors for your kingdom. I pray they will not only stay free from Satan's traps, they will set many others free who have been trapped by him. I pray, Lord, that even as a direct result of this afternoon, there'll be new freedoms, both for my those here and for the ones they minister to and meet with. I pray, Lord, there'll be ongoing benefit just from having spent this hour and a half together on this Sunday afternoon. I pray, Lord, you'll do business for your kingdom advance out from here. And so I think as we finish, I would say if you'd like prayer, please come forward. Others can feel free to go. Please don't feel you have to hurry away. But um, I think it's an opportunity for us to mingle about. And I, I, don't, I just want you to come forward if you'd like me to pray with you or others to pray with you. Be okay if you pray with me. One or two others. If you're uh, um, part of a ministry team in here at Commission and you're happy to pray with someone, I'd value you to, to help me. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly confident we're all uh, able to help each other in this area. So I think it's probably best if you're a ministry team. That gives us a little bit of check on it all. Thank you. Okay.